Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Caitlin Hodges, Risk Manager at Amazon. Caitlin joins Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella on today's program to talk about the biggest challenges for e-commerce and retail leaders when it comes to reducing policy fraud and the unique forms their solutions can take from a data perspective. Throughout the episode, Caitlin pulls from her experience from the front lines of developing new tools for Amazon to fight competitor fraud, such as detecting AI-manufactured negative reviews for competing products. Today's episode is sponsored by Riskified. And without further ado, here's their conversation. So, Caitlin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, glad to have you here. You have a career in one particular area of great interest for our audience, which is this domain of fraud. We have a lot of enterprise listeners and readers in the retail space, all of whom have seen sort of the transition since COVID, much more e-commerce, lots of upside to that, also some challenges and some downside to that. When you look at some of the fraud kind of trends, concerns, challenges that have become more popular since that time over these last two, three years, what are the things that really jump out to you? I know you have kind of a special focus that maybe we can start with. Right. I generally work with competitor abuse. So within the retail space, we've seen a lot of people, of course, they want their products and whatever they're selling to be at the forefront of everybody's mind. In Amazon, we call it the buy box. And it's that's say what everyone is, what Amazon recommends. And so our competitors are vying for that spot. And with online sales since COVID picking up. Obviously, Amazon is doing very well in that yep. space. So we are seeing there are competitors selling the same product that are committing abuse against each other to kind of take that number one spot. Huh. So we're going to get into the friendly fraud stuff, policy abuse, because there's so many aspects of online commerce that you guys have spearheaded and are involved in. But just to touch on this interesting one, because I think it'll just be a little bit different for the series. When I think about competitor abuse stealing that top spot, we just talking about spamming reviews like, oh, this person's fly swatter is really bad and it doesn't work. Or, you know, this protein powder doesn't taste good or something like is this is that it or are there other components on, a, on an e-commerce platform of this kind where fraud can become a concern? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. There's plenty of facets where competitors are committing abuse against their competitors. Editors. Negative review abuse is a huge one. We have like negative buyer seller messages where they'll directly contact their competitors and say, stop listing. Otherwise, I will do X, Y, Z. Like, um, like threats, huh? Yeah. Strange. Sometimes they okay. get very hairy. We okay. do have to get legal involved in some of those <laughs> because they do get very I get fun. But it's wild. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so a huge one that I started working in was in inventory hold abuse where they will actually go and they will have bots, machine learning, AI go in and actually create their own accounts, look very legitimate and purchase 10 of these, whatever okay. the item is. Okay. Sure. And then within the next five, 10 minutes or day, they will cancel the item. But for that period, the inventory is held. And so that seller is showing that they are unavailable in that space. So oh. we'll see that seller will be unable to sell all of their items. And then they get fees for having cancellations. And depending on if they provide this, the shipping versus Amazon shipping, 
it gets pretty gnarly there. And so we found that targeting and doing preventative abusive behaviors in that space saves not only our sellers a ton of money, but Amazon a lot of money if we have them fulfilled in our warehouses. Yeah. That impacts, obviously, our everyone, drivers, all of that. <laughs> huh. Okay. So this is curious. And, and again, a little bit different from some of what, what else we've covered. We'll, I'm sure we're going to touch on a couple of themes that our audience will be familiar with. But on a platform of this size, yeah, it sounds like there's ways of just trying to threaten people off of a platform, which is not really tech enabled. There's ways to auto-generate a bunch of reviewer bots. There's ways to auto-purchase products so that they show up as not available. People can't buy them. They have to buy something else. So that there's all these ways of kind of gamifying the system. Does this fit into sort of the broader ecosystem of all the other kinds of policy and payment of use that I'm, I'm sure you guys see? Is it kind of its own ecosystem or does it pretty well tied into all those other strata and types of fraud that a big platform like Amazon deals with? Well, you would think that Amazon has everything tied neatly together with a big bow, given how large we are. But yeah. um, it is very siloed and it's very surprising. Interesting. So, and competitor abuse, we do see loads of other abusive behaviors of like payment fraud, brushing or you know, where people get unwanted packages, uh, mm. where people will receive lots of different things. But we primarily target like in competitor, we used to stay relatively siloed in Got that it, space. In right. And, but we and, do see a lot of the other abuse. And your experience both within Amazon and without has been in a ton of that policy abuse, payment fraud, sort of broader ecosystem. When we speak about that space, you know, you have a history going back into companies that have dealt with that. You're obviously working now at the preeminent company in the world that deals with that problem. You know, outside of the competitor side, what have you seen in policy abuse and kind of payment fraud that as a trend leaders are kind of forced to wrestle with even a little bit more now or you think are kind of top of mind for folks in your position? Yeah, I would say, I mean, prior to this, I was with GoDaddy for six years in their fraud space and I was more of a trend analyst. So it was very, very broad looking at what the overall arching trends are. So would see a lot of that come through. This was pre-COVID, so not necessarily relevant now, but or I don't want to say relevant, but no, it still is on some uh, level, but it'll be curious to get a sense of your, your ideas here. <laughs> yeah. So with that, in, in that sense, we saw that there's a lot of people using machine learning in their favor to either use stolen credit cards, they'll like have them test a bunch at the one time, or they'll use bots to create accounts to make it look yeah. legitimate. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a lot of that that you see. And so it's just the large, like, huge volume where you know that all of these accounts are bad. You know that you need to take care of them, but you're one person. So you have to utilize your own machine learning to be able to filter that all out and cancel them. I was going to say, and so we'll, we'll touch in on that, and we're going to get a little bit more into where data and analytics can help because obviously there's way too much volume, even for a giant like Amazon to juggle with, never mind a smaller e-commerce player. You know, we've had Etsy on the podcast talking about these topics or The Gap or something like that, and they're buried in all the same stuff. So to your point, sometimes there's a lot of these accounts that are generated in such a way where it's it's kind of obvious, like, hey, all of this is junk. We just need to get rid of it. We've seen some folks we've talked to have accounts get generated that, again, are leveraging ML in enough of a way where they're kind of gamifying the ability of acting like a person and looking more like a real account and they're harder to screen for. What have been the the ways and tips and, and methods that, you know, the the fraudsters have have used 
that sort of, I don't know if I want to say mimicking or something like that for payment fraud or policy abuse, et cetera, because we've definitely heard some rumblings in the breeze about that becoming more of an issue. Oh, yeah. We we joke in our industry that we're fraudster training 101 because we consistently see we will implement a roadblock that we think will ice them out and they will continually find a way to divert that. Yeah. So, I mean, the huge thing that we base a lot of our, um, like the easiest thing, very, very bare bones basic is email address. You can tell a lot about a person from the legitimacy of their email address. If it's a Gmail and it has their name in it, Yeah. then we know, okay, you're probably a legitimate person depending on how long your account has been around for. So a lot of the um, temporary email addresses we've seen, like gmx.com, 163.com, rambler.ru, rambler.ru. Those are a lot of very temporary email addresses that you can create. There are, they last for, I don't don't know, 30 days, 60 days. However long, exactly, it's temporaries. And then we'll see a lot of bots use those email addresses. It'll be gibberish at that email. And so we'll create, we'll write queries, create machine learning uh, models to then say, okay, everybody that has these characteristics of this email address are going to be auto flagged and shut down. Got it. So So, ways of picking up on those patterns. Definitely finding the trends and circumventing all of that. So with the new fraudsters, they are now using Gmails. Are they using legitimate emails? Account takeovers now have been more prominent because they're able to then utilize a legit, like a very, a veteran account to commit abuse. So it looks very tricky. You have to see mm. where where things went wrong. So they're getting it's getting definitely more sophisticated in the sense of they're just looking more legitimate than they ever have been before. Yeah, uh, the the uh, the enemy is getting stronger. I guess this is the arms race that's always going to be happening in this in this domain. Same as cybersecurity, although I think I think this area is a more fun one to talk about. In terms of policy abuse stuff, you know, getting refunds and sending back empty boxes and, you know, that kind of stuff. We've seen some retailers see new forms of that or more issues around that sort of since COVID and this big lift in our our volume of of e-commerce. Some people have even mentioned corollaries between kind of economic scaredness in the market to the number of people that kind of commit those kind of things, even sometimes normally decent customers, you know, who are not, you know, gobbledygook at rocketmail.com, you know, like a regular person. When you look at kind of the the sorts of concerns and not just within Amazon, even just retail in general, that around policy abuse that have become maybe more prevalent, spooky, or at least the ones that are top of mind, is there anything there that for you is, you know, more of an issue now or feels like something more people are talking about? Ooh, a good question. Recently, I I would say that we see a lot of trends with like items, but I wouldn't say necessarily like policy abuse. I mean, seasonality is obviously something that's always going to be a thing for us. Obviously, Amazon does lots of prime days and things like that. So we see large influxes of abusers of all kinds around those times. But yeah, as far as policy violations in direct regard to like the climate. I wouldn't yeah, say that no, that's no particular thing that's upticked more than before or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's been pretty, pretty steady. Consistent. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no yeah, new, it's... new trends there or whatever, but obviously it is an issue. I imagine for Amazon, just like everybody else, people looking at what the refund policies are or trying to gamify, you know, when we send something back and when we claim, oh, it never arrived or whatever the case may be, you know? 
Of course, yeah, that's been been going on. Will continue to go on. We see it pick up like around Prime Day, around seasonality. The holidays huh. is huge. Okay. Um, so there's times yeah, where we'll, it flares up as an issue, like seasonally. Definitely. Huh. Oh yeah, we'll see where we're like. All oh, right, we know that it's um, like Prime Day, Black Friday, any big shopping day. We'll see. Okay, we got to gear up. Stuff. Two weeks prior, we we make sure all of our models are working. Everything's huh. dialed in, and we are. All hands on deck for those yeah. days. Oh man, more of course vo- everyone's trying to make money. Yeah, more volume, but also mm-hmm. it sounds like even percentage wise, a higher amount of mischief is going to happen on those days. I I don't know if I necessarily would have expected it, but that doesn't surprise me. Well, we'll kind of you're steering us talking about getting your models ready into part of the conversation that that is useful around where data and AI can sort of add some value here. You know, we've got five minutes to at least batter the idea around a little bit. Clearly, Amazon is a leader in artificial intelligence. So much of retail is starting to think about how to wake up the value of data. When you look forward, you know, a handful of years here at the whole panoply of fraud, you know, policy abuse stuff, payment stuff, et cetera, where do you think AI really needs to sort of level up to the to the next level or data needs to be used at kind of the next level in order to prevent some of the issues that we see today that are so prevalent? Ooh, well, I mean, ultimately, cur- currently at the moment, I feel like AI is used to do your grunt work, which ideally it would then grow to fully take care of everything that you absolutely know is going to, like for us in my space, I know that this person or this buyer or seller or whoever is fraudulent, doing abusive behaviors. I want AI to be able to take that, take care of that for me, take care of the, for- tackle the enforcement, which it's doing. However, mm. the accuracy is the problem. Oh, well, how do you mean? So, That's curious. Well, there are a lot of factors that go into determining whether a seller or a buyer or somebody is abusive or fraudulent. Yes. Um, and obviously, we don't want to take away somebody's buying account or selling yeah, account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're not like we want to make sure our models fraudulent. are trained. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So it's we're we're at the point where they're they're created, they're functional. However, there is always a percentage of error in there where we see that there is, maybe they have five out of the 10 risk signals that we're looking for. And that was the threshold, but I don't know. There could have been unexplained situations as to why they're not fraudulent. And so weeding that out and training your models to kind of understand what is more important, putting different weight on different things. A hundred percent accuracy is always ideal. Yeah, so I, I would hope that so closing that gap. I mean, it, it might, we might never get there. Cause I think your opponents are pretty smart too, Caitlin, from what you're telling me, they're always trying to stick and move. But from what it sounds like for you, the improvements in the tech is just, can we get more granular? Can we look at more features and can we look at more features with the right weights to just get our accuracy of that's a bad seller. That's a bad buyer to a level where you feel comfortable? Because obviously right now you've got false positives, false negatives to deal with. Yes. Okay. And that's our biggest, I feel like our biggest hurdle at the moment. And then once that is moved forward, then we can obviously move them into more sophisticated models. So rather than doing grunt work, then they're doing SQL querying and they're saying, okay, well, we found this one, this one character that has a, email address yeah. pattern. And so they then they, they were Extrapolate then able to that. correct find, okay. uh, run a query and then pull that information and then run those sellers through their machine learning to see if those are potentially fraudulent. Yeah. And so 
to have it grow upon itself is our future goals. But no, no, this is good. It's good to know. Accuracy number one. But this is great. I think for the audience tuned in, I think probably everybody will relate to this. And and it's a pretty logical progression. I'm just going to put what you said in a nutshell, Caitlin, as we wrap up to make sure I'm understanding. But I like where we're headed here. Step one is, you know, I, I expect the professionals working in fraud especially want this. Let's get this stuff a little bit more accurate. Let's let's have people in front of us who we actually really do want to get off the system and just make sure we're not you know, filtering for people who otherwise are good customers. And then the second thing is, is there a way for these systems when they can detect trends of fraud to find commonalities in accounts and automatically flag the people who are going to be a problem in three months? Because otherwise, we're going to have to flag them again in three months and sift them out versus find them in the system. So it's almost shifting from let's get better at being reactive so good, in fact, that maybe we can see the patterns and get proactive and start chopping these people off the, the system. Is that the right way to think about it? You hit the nail on the head. That is our, like, we constantly say That's that we're dream. trying to move into a more proactive role versus yeah. a reactive, since most fraud is very much reactive after the fact that it's done. So, yep. yeah, to be able to get proactive okay. is our number one goal. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's great for people to hear that even at, you know, the big preeminent, predominant giant in this space, accuracy for fraud is just not a solved problem. It actually is still challenging. So if you're listening in, it's challenging for literally everyone. So anyway, Caitlin, I know that's all we have time for in the podcast, but I appreciate you being able to share your insights and be with us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. For more on confronting policy and friendly fraud across retail and e-commerce, don't forget to check out the other podcasts in this series sponsored by Riskified, starting with the October 12th, 2023 episode that's titled Looking at Refund and Loyalty Programs in Retail from a Data Perspective with Jeff Otto of Riskified. Up next, our November 15th, 2023 episode titled Generative AI Approaches for E-Commerce and Retail fraud with Srihari Govindarajan of PayPal. And then finally, our immediately previous episode to our final episode today. That's the December 20th, 2023 episode titled Fraud Challenges in the Gaming Industry from a Data Perspective with Pablo Vargas of FanDuel. Lots of information all across the board here. Also, don't forget to check out the February 1st article will be running on Emerge.com, profiling key highlights from across all four episodes and summarizing for business leaders the key takeaways that they can get from this wealth of perspectives. On behalf of our CEO and head of research, Daniel Fagella, as well as the rest of the team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>